Now look here. I ain't never intended to be no housewife nor slave in taking this job. And it ain't right. These lodges is more ramshackle than any shanty boys camp I ever seen. The Queen of England's old fancy housekeeper couldn't even done no better than what I done. Because I tell you, I scrubbed this here place twice over. And I say you did nothing of the sort. And I say you swab it again and you swab it proper like this time. And you'll be swabbing it ten times more after that. Greetings and salutations, everyone, and welcome to The Unfranchised. If you checked out our first episode, thanks for coming back for the second. If you're new to The Unfranchised, this is a podcast where we tackle small, original films that aren't sequels, reboots, remakes, or based off any known IP. In this episode, we are going to take a look at The Lighthouse, the new psychological horror film from the witch director Robert Eggers, which is playing in theaters now. My name is Robert Taylor, and I write about film at cultspark.com. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Stuart Smith. Stu, are you ready to spill your beans about The Lighthouse? America, I am ready to spill my beans. So, in our first episode, when we discussed Gareth Evans' Apostle, I feel like I really got into the weeds when I was attempting to describe the plot of that film. So, I'm going to keep it simple this time. The Lighthouse is about two guys played by Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, who are charged with manning a lighthouse in the middle of nowhere sometime in the 1800s. A storm hits, they end up stuck at that lighthouse with each other for longer than expected, and they both slowly go insane. Stu, does that about sum it up? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... it's, it's there, you can't really describe the plot of this movie. There really isn't one. Especially given everything that happens. Yeah, and it's not, uh, it's not a plot-centric movie anyway. It's more about character and tone. Yeah, it's, it's 100% about the relationship uh, of these two men and the ways that they and seemingly the world around them kind of unravel. Absolutely. So that's the gist of the movie. Eggers was a production designer before he was a writer and director. And, and you can tell. Like, oh, yeah. It really comes through in we're, both this and The Witch. We're going to get into that. The movie's gorgeous. The Lighthouse is his second film following The Witch, which was a horror darling when it was released in 2015. Although, Stu, you and I weren't as fond of it as everyone else was, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You and I were two of the few people who weren't really uh, in the thrall of The Witch. And I thought The Witch... I, I was still kind of looking forward to seeing this because i thought the witch was an interesting movie there were it was a fascinating movie it just for the most part didn't work for me and i believe you as well i I thought it was just an absolute snooze fest that looked stunningly gorgeous i i've said a couple times that i think the witch would have made it an incredible 20 minute 15 minute short film and didn't work so well as a full-length feature there's just there's not enough happening there yeah, oh, absolutely. But yeah, we, we, both of us were still pretty excited to see The Lighthouse, though. And, I mean, we've decided to pick it for our second episode. So considering we, we were more down on The Witch than everybody, why were we stoked to do this? Or at least why were you stoked for this one? Uh, I was stoked for it because, I mean, you know, how can you not be excited by the prospect of Willem Dafoe playing a salty 
you know, <laughs> salty semen type character. He's very salty. Uh, just, uh, just an absolute barnacle of a man. <laughs> that and I was, I was incredibly intrigued by the uh, artistic choice to shoot it in, you know, like a, a nineteen. You know, forties, nineteen fifties style, boxy, full frame. So it has a it has a four three aspect ratio, which means it's square, right? Like like an old TV, and in and in stark black and white. Stark, stylish black and white. I mean, this you know the the immediate visual comparison that came to mind to me was Night of the Hunter, as I was watching it. Mm. Uh, You know, it's it's that you know just very stylish and stylized. Okay, so. We're not huge on the witch, but we see this trailer. It looks really interesting. It looks striking and we get excited. And the question is, is it going to let us down? Like the witch let us, the witch was very high. I saw the witch early. I saw it in advanced screening, but because it had played at festivals and stuff, the hype was still so massive before it got to me. Was this, was this film, was it going to be a similar sort of being let down again? Now, Stu, you've been harassing me because I have flat out refused to tell you how I feel about the lighthouse. Until and you're we, a mass, you're a massive jerk for it. Until we were recording this podcast, you know, we want to keep it fresh for the podcast. It's going to make the cast better. But now that we're casting, now that we're actually on Skype with each other, Stu, I got to tell you, I absolutely fucking loved this movie. I loved it. <laughs> At the moment, and there's still a lot for me to catch up on that's already come out, and there's still a lot coming, but at this moment, it's probably my favorite film of 2019. Oh, wow. So the question is, how do I reconcile this? Can I... Well, first, let's see how you feel about it and see if you feel as strongly as me or different than I do. And then I want to know if I I can reconcile (laughs) loving this film but not enjoying The Witch. But so tell me where you're at on The Lighthouse. Uh, I am definitely not as enthusiastic as you about it okay um i will 100 percent say that it is a better movie than the witch uh you know there's no question to me uh that it is but i i like a lot of individual elements of it i think both pattinson um and defoe are phenomenal in this uh you know i've i've really appreciated and really and quite enjoyed uh a lot of robert pattinson's you know, post twilight work. Uh, I think he's a, a, a really good actor that makes really interesting choices and, uh, you know, consistently tries to find interesting ways to push himself, uh, and to take on really interesting characters. And this is probably his best work that I've seen to date. And he really, he digs into it, into the whole thing, uh, with just with a, uh, with an intensity that I honestly didn't really know that he had. Uh, and that's even, you know, having watched Good Time, which is a fantastic movie that everyone should see. Perhaps we will even cover it on this, uh, this here show. Uh, but he, he just takes it to a whole nother level. And it actually, it made me, uh, even more interested and excited and intrigued by, uh, what he will potentially bring, uh, to playing Batman. This is honestly the first real thing I've ever seen Pattinson in. Really? Like, I mean, outside of like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which we're not going to count. Eh, I, eh, no, that count. Yeah. So I haven't, I have, I think he's interesting in interviews. Um, he fits nicely with my theory. I've had this theory for a while that these young actors who are in like giant team based franchises, that as soon as they are free of that contract, they run and go do as many interesting, 
crazy indie movies as they can. Like, like J-Law did it. Kristen Stewart does it. Pattinson does it. Even Daniel Radcliffe did it. It's like oh, when they get free of the, the contract and the series, they just want to, they want to do real work, it seems like. And Pattinson yeah, Pat- fits that theory nicely. Pattinson is definitely following in the, the Daniel Radcliffe mold of just doing really, really weird stuff, really interesting off the wall, like just total 180 from, uh, you know, from the teen idol stuff. Uh, that pro- that propelled them to fame, uh, and you know this, this is you know bravo for Pattinson for taking this. I mean this is this is a it's a claustrophobic movie. Uh, it's it's an insane movie, uh, both literally and figuratively. You know, and and he, I mean, I, I you can't really imagine most guys in his position with his level of fame taking on a movie like this uh, again. You know opposite Willem Dafoe. So that was my big question because basically having, you know, no baseline for Pattinson, my question was, could this guy possibly match Dafoe? Because I, I know Dafoe is going to bring it. I mean, I, (laughs) I'm very familiar with what Willem Dafoe can do. So is Pattinson going to be able to match him? And he totally does. I mean, it's, it's an equal two hander. They are, both up to the challenge. Pattinson is up to the challenge of, of matching such sort of a legendary presence as Willem Dafoe. And I was just riveted by them. And I think that's part of maybe the reason where I love this film, where the witch didn't connect with me because they're both, they're both gorgeous. They're both fairly, very stylistic. They're both light on plot, but there's like sort of this two handed acting dynamic in the lighthouse that doesn't really happen at least that i can remember in the witch now it's been three years since i've seen the witch and if i really want to pick apart why one worked for me and one didn't i would have to rewatch it well but, but, you, but i remember it, i remember the witch being you know it's more of a mystery where not much is happening and the lead character <laughs> <laughs> true right not not much is happening. that's an understatement and if there ever was you know uh oh shit who's the actress from split that's in the witch Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, Anya Taylor yeah. Joy. She she's really good in it, but she's really not. She first of all, she's it's a more subdued character, and she's not really given something to bounce off of the way. There are no there are no there are no characters in the witch. Right. Like that the the reason why the lighthouse works for me where the witch does not, it's because we we spend you know the entire time. In some way or another, even if it's, you know, a very odd way to do it, we come to understand these characters and, and who they are and some of their fault, their faults and flaws and their, you know, their very dark secrets and insecurities. I mean, you know, <laughs> hearing, hearing Willem Dafoe, you know, desperately, pathetically ask if, if Robert Pattinson liked his lobster cooking. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's that that's just it's hilarious. And it's also a great little character moment. That scene was hysterical. And uh, for those of you who follow me on social media, uh, you probably saw me talking about this. But for 45 long years, I've dreamt of seeing a movie at a theater by myself. And it finally happened. I saw the lighthouse uh, <laughs> on a Thursday morning, a 1030 a.m. screening 
it was it it wasn't the last day it was playing in my preferred theater, but it was the last day it had like a screen all day. Like the next day on the Friday, it was dropping down to I think one showing a day, and uh, and I was the only one there, which was it was as good as I it was as wonderful as I always dreamt it would be. But I cracked uh, during the uh, don't you like my lobster scene? I was just cracking up by myself in a the theater. Yeah, I mean it's it's great, and there's so there's so many. Uh, there's so many moments like that. I think that's one of the things that really impressed me about Edgar's direction with the lighthouse is how it just it just so effortlessly and sometimes seamlessly bounces between, you know, stark drama, uh, surrealism and just, you know, weirdo humor. And, and yet the movie somehow doesn't fall apart. The fact that it actually stays cohesive. Despite that, is just it's it's an uh, it's an incredible balancing act. But going back to the witch, I, I agree with you. Uh, stylistically, the two films share some similarities: the, the striking visuals, the way language is used, how they speak in a very age-appropriate dialect that almost sounds like a foreign language, but not quite. It has that similarity. But just something about watching these two incredibly realized characters bounced off each other just is able to bring this film to life in a way that the witch, it never happened with the witch for me. I I feel like there, again, another, another differentiating factor that, that puts the point in favor of, of the lighthouse is there's just such a, a a much more well-defined sense of place. Yes. uh, With the lighthouse. And, you know, again, some of that is not necessarily the fault of the witch. I mean, there's only so much that you can do with, you know, New England countryside, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the, in the, you know, 1500s or, or whenever it was set, you know, but it's just, there, there's, there's something so distinct and so foreign in a way about a lighthouse because it, you know, it's just, I mean, that's not something that most people ever encounter or, you know, interact with or are around. And if you do see one, it's generally very much at a distance, you know? And so it just, there's something very, very unique that you don't really see in in movies in general. You know I mean? Sure. There, there's plenty of, you know, scary forest in horror movies and period pieces and stuff like that. But there, there really is something very unique about, uh, you know, an isolated Island with a, with a lighthouse and only two people occupying it. We talked a little bit about the aspect ratio uh, that might annoy sort of general moviegoers. I, I'm kind of like one of those people that thinks there's value in a 4-3 aspect ratio. Like I'm one of those guys, that, especially with TV shows from like the 90s or the early 2000s that were shot in 4-3, like The Wire and The Shield. Like there's like this, there's all those TV shows now have been sort of re-edited and reframed for widescreen TVs. And I'm kind of someone that's like, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. There's value in a four, three aspect ratio. I mean, Stanley Kubrick used to use it regularly for God's sake. And I just think for, for whatever reason, Eggers, eye is really good because it just the way he framed the characters and the lighthouse and that beach and the, the building next door to the lighthouse building and everything is just framed so immaculately. It's like, it's like the greatest Instagram feed of all time <laughs> is basically what this movie is. It's just, it's absolutely lovely. Well, you know, it's, uh, there, there definitely is value in that aspect ratio. And I think, you know, he uses it extremely well here because, you know, not only does it give you the sense that you're, you're watching this 
lost movie that's only somehow now been discovered. But, you know, it really adds to the sense of, of, of claustrophobia. It, it forces you to focus on specific details on characters that are, you know, dead center in the frame. You know, when you've got a, when you've got a, a, a widescreen aspect ratio, I mean, there's so much more visual real estate for your, for your eye and your attention to be distracted. But, you know, with, with this, you know, very boxy frame, I mean, everything is front and center. There's, there's literally no escaping. Uh, just, you know, it, it, it's, it's a perfect mirror for the way that these characters, you know, inhabit their time in this very isolated space. I think you absolutely nailed it when you talk about how the tight framing gives off a sense of claustrophobia. Because it is really a movie about isolation. And that's, yeah. you know what, it, it, it honestly reminded me in parts of The Shining, another great horror movie about isolation. So it's the aspect ratio isn't the only thing this thing has in common with, you know, a, a Stanley Kubrick. Um, this is seriously one of the best movies about isolation and feeling trapped somewhere and feeling, you know, alone to the point of madness. Madness is definitely one way of putting it. You know what I would to anyone who is interested in watching it, I would actually highly recommend uh, doing a double feature of this and Orson Welles' uh, The Trial. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that, Bob? I have not. Oh man, okay. Um, I think it's in the public domain now, so it pops up on streaming services every now and then. It's I think it's one of his like middle career movies. Like I think he made it around the time uh, of Touch of Evil because uh, you know he's he's fat in it so it's it's definitely not earlier in his career uh, i forget exactly when it came out but it's it's a, an adaptation of a of a kafka novel uh and it it too um you know it's not it's not it wasn't shot in in a four three aspect ratio but it it like the lighthouse is extremely surreal uh, and it, you know, it focuses on a real uh, sense of confusion, uh, a, a sense of claustrophobia at times. Uh, it's got it's Anthony Perkins is in it actually. Um, it's a phenomenal movie. It's it's one of my absolute just you know favorite kind of fly under the radar films. Uh, and I I I feel like it would it would actually make a a, a perfect double feature with what's, this. What's the title of that film again? The Trial. Let's get back into Defoe and Pattinson here because they're. There's one other cast member with a small part, but this is – it's a tiny, tiny part. This is really a movie with only two actors in it. Uh, I mean, Defoe, I've been watching my whole life. He's always a welcome presence, even when the movies he's in aren't very good. Uh, uh, Spider-Man and Aquaman would <laughs> count there. But um, that guy's got to stay away from superhero stuff. But but No, just, he's always fun in it. I, you know what? He's, oh, man, he brings so much fun. That is kind of my point, though. Even when I don't like the movies, he's good. And I, I, think, mean, look, that, I think this is one of his best performances ever. He is absolutely riveting. In a career filled with distinct, unique performances, this one somehow manages to stand out from even that. Which is really, really saying something. Has Defoe ever won an Oscar? I think he was nominated for Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, he was nominated for yeah, he was nominated for Shadow of the Vampire. I don't think he ever has. I'm gonna look it up. He has been nominated four times for Platoon, which he's excellent in, for Shadow of the Vampire, which he's excellent in, 
for the Florida Project and Eternity's Gate, which I have not seen. Never won. I will probably be rooting for him this year. So the question becomes, does he get uh, supporting or actor? It should be lead. I mean, technically, they're both leads. Now, yeah. the way they position people to try to win awards, they're probably going to have to pick one of them to be the lead and one of them be the supporting. I'm guessing he gets supporting. So you think they'll push Pattinson for lead and Defoe for supporting? I, I think so, because Pattinson, even though, I mean, yeah, they are co-leads. Uh, the focus is slightly more on Pattinson. You know, we definitely spend more, uh, you know, alone time with him. You know, we don't really... We don't really see Defoe doing any repetitive chores or anything. You know, there, there's never a time when it when it's ever really expressly focused on Defoe. We move right. The camera kind of follows Pattinson's character yeah. more, and we also see. And when Pattinson starts having some troubling visions, where in his mind we see that stuff. So it does make sense that from a sort of a narrative standpoint, we're more the movie's more with Pattinson. We're more in his head. Yeah, but I mean, I if he has I'm sure he has more. It's not that much more screen time. I mean, again, we're kind of talking about how they position them for awards as far. I mean, as far as the movie's concerned, they're both leads. But now I think he convinced me they might push him for supporting actor. And honestly, it's the guy I'm going to be rooting for just because I've been a fan for so long. And man, if he can't win for this, I mean, it is an (laughs) acting. It is an actor's movie. I mean, it's it's just dream parts. Well, and what's what's really the the biggest testament to his uh, abilities on display here is that I mean, this is basically what what's the the sea captain's name in The Simpsons? Oh, I don't know. I know who you're uh, talking about, but I don't know his name. All, all of our Simpsons loving friends are screaming right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, but, if you, if you would have asked if you would have asked me when season nine was airing, I probably would have known. Right. right, but I mean, like. In the hands of a lesser actor, uh, still attempting the same thing, that's what this—that's what Defoe's part would have been. He would have been, you know, the the crusty sea captain from The Simpsons. Uh, but he manages to really pull off just this amazing high wire act with this with this performance here, where it's just—I mean, it should it should be a, a cartoon. And in fact, I mean, it, you know. Robert Pattinson's character actually calls him a parody at, at one point, mm-hmm. but it, it all, it never feels too over the top. Uh, he manages to wring out some, some genuine earned pathos while still just being, you know, weird and, and wild eyed, uh, and, you know, at, at times, you know, monstrous literally and fi- figuratively. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's certainly nothing else like it in terms of performances in in a movie this year. Pattinson, I think, I mean, he's amazing in it. Pattinson is amazing in it. I would, if I had to pick one over the other, I'm probably going with Defoe. Maybe there are a few points where you can sort of feel the acting a little bit more with Pattinson. But man, he's able to sort of ratchet up the intensity when he needs to. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, again, I mean, he, he, he's not in quite the position that Willem Dafoe is just because the way his character is written is, is much more somber, much more, uh, you know, internalized uh, to a degree, you know, so he, he's, he's got the same kind of intensity going on, but just in a, in a much more, I think, focused direction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but he, he manages, you know, he, he pulls off some of the same feats here, I think. So you're talking to, you know, if, you know, somebody like me who is discovering sort of how good Pattinson can be for the first time with this film, what other films would you recommend we go back and watch now? Now, the, what's, uh, what's the one you mentioned already? Good time. Good time. Okay. Anything else spring to mind from him that you really like that I can go back and watch now that I know how good this guy can be? Oh, let's see here. Let me look up some stuff real quick because there's he's definitely got. So he did a uh, a Cronenberg movie. Uh, uh, oh, what, Cosmopolis, uh, which I I still need to see that, but I've heard nothing but you know fantastic stuff. Uh, let's see, uh, Lost City of Z is really good. Uh, let's see here. Um, so I don't <laughs> go on. It sounds oh, like you got man. something to say, Stu. Okay, so he starred in. I almost don't want to ruin this because I I want people to see this. Uh, just because it's so utterly like there is no twist in the lighthouse that is as, as insane as the twist at the end of remember me. Okay. Uh, which is saying something, uh, you know, screw it. I'll just say it. Okay. So remember me is just, you know, it's, it's this, you know, typical ro- romantic drama. You know, one of the subplots is Robert Pattinson, uh, you know, dealing with his tumultuous relationship with his father, played by Pierce Brosnan. And um, at the end of the movie, he tries to, to you know, to do a full recon- reconciliation with him. Uh, so he goes to his office building, you know, and it's this crisp fall day. Uh, and they the two just they, they they miss each other in passing. Uh, you know, so he's waiting in his father's office. And the camera slowly, you know, it, 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 it zooms out, out the office window, and you see he's in a high-rise office building, and it pulls out further. And where is he? Well, Bob, let me tell you. I've got me on pins and needles. It's September 11th, 2001. And he is exactly where you think he is. Mm, that doesn't sound too good, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you're recommending this? Oh, man. I, well, I can't recommend it now because now you know the insane ending. Okay, but we can say it goes to show that Robert Pattinson makes interesting choices with his films these days. <laughs> like, I, I guarantee you he saw this and he's like, that's the ending? Okay, yeah, sure, I'm doing this. Absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, well, yeah, Cosmopolis, uh, Lost City of Z, you definitely watch those two. You know, and again, it's, you know, the movies aren't always great, like Water for Elephants. I mean, it's, you know, it's fine, whatever. Uh, but he's good in it. You know, he's just in anything, really anything you watch him in, uh, outside of Twilight, he's, he's going to be good in. Well, of course, outside of Twilight. That goes without saying. But yeah, I, I cannot recommend Good Time enough. And. Like, oh my, that, you want to. So, I'm a watch every, Good Time. Everybody was was blown away by the uh, trailer for Uncut Gems, yes. the Adam Sandler movie coming uh-huh. out. Um, Which we're gonna have to do on this show. We we will absolutely have to do that. Yep. Uh, Good Time is directed by the Safdie brothers, who directed Uncut Gems. Okay. So if that if that movie looks appealing to you and just the whole vibe and the intensity of it, then you absolutely need to watch Good Time. Even if no one ever listens to this podcast, it's going to be good for me to pick up film recommendations from you, Stu. Because after episode one, I know I have to watch The Guest, and now I know I have to watch Good Time. 
So yeah, like I'm just you know I'm talking about all these movies that we should cover on this on this here podcast, Bob. And now, you know, the the podcast is called the Unfranchised, but that doesn't mean we can't necessarily wade into franchise stuff a little bit here. And Robert Pattinson, this motherfucker is going to be Batman. <laughs> How do we feel about that? We like it, right? That's a good choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was an interesting and and kind of left field choice um, before uh, I saw this, and I I hadn't I actually hadn't seen Good Time before uh, he was cast, and that was what actually inspired me to go watch it. And I was You're like, like okay. oh, let me see if this guy can do this. Okay. Well, and so so I watched Good Time. It's like, okay, yeah, I can see it, and then I watch The Lighthouse, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy. It will be a Batman and a Bruce Wayne. I'm just, you know, I have nothing to base this on because, I mean, obviously, I've nobody's seen the script or seen him in costume or anything like that. Uh, but just based on the choices that he makes here and the way that he's able to to communicate intensity, uh, we, I, I think we're going to get something that we ha- really have not seen before. I, I'm with you. I mean, I mean, he's going to look good in the cowl. I mean, he's a handsome dude. He's a, he's a, he's a seriously, he's a serious and striking looking dude. You know, he, he looks like a, he looks like Bruce Wayne. He's going to do it. And yeah, he, he, there's, you know, with Batman, every, every actor who plays Batman, you know, gives the same sort of canned response where, you know, B- Batman, he dresses up as a bat and fights crime. He's, he's not all there. He's a little off his rocker and, and Pattinson can definitely do that. Yeah. Well, see, <laughs> but it, it's always interesting, uh, seeing him interviewed because he, you can tell he takes pleasure in kind of, you know, messing with the interviewers, especially the ones that, you know, just kind of ask some of the expected boilerplate type uh, questions. Right, because I think he's smarter than a lot of the people interviewing. Oh, him. he absolutely yeah. is. Like, if you watched any footage of him being interviewed during his Twilight days, I mean, there were times when he would literally laugh out loud at questions because he was just like, "This is the stupidest shit." Well, again, <laughs> when when you have to do what four different Twilight press tours, right? I mean, something just breaks inside of you and, by and that you, last one. <laughs> And you can tell that, like, when he's getting asked about being Batman, you know, and again, like, really basic questions that, as you said, every actor ever who's ever played Batman gets asked. And so he's like, okay, you know what? I Let's just have some fun with this answer. Like, you can see those gears turning in his head, you know, when he's like, oh, no, yeah, no, Batman's not a hero. It's both kind of insightful, but also it's like, okay, he's having fun messing with these people right now. I think he's going to be great in the part. I think that looks to be a very interestingly cast Batman movie, and I'm really looking forward to it in a way I haven't looked forward to any movie featuring Batman in a long time. Back to the Lighthouse, which, again, I just I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Okay, um, so what, what, what about it connected with you so strongly? I just, I think the performances, I think the way it looked... I think sort of the fantastical elements of it, it, it's a little bit Lovecraftian in parts, (laughs) some of the imagery without being overtly, you know, without that, without that being an overt part of the plot, it's almost the more fantastical parts of the movie are, aren't there to turn it into a, you know, true blue horror movie. They're more to sort of convey the psychosis and what's going on inside these characters heads. And I just got really wrapped up into it. I got really wrapped up into, you know, these guys, 
the, the sort of the rhythm, I really got wrapped up into the rhythm of the film where they, they work and then they fight and then they get drunk and then they make up and then they work and then they fight and then they get drunk and then they make up. And it's like every time we go through that cycle and especially a start of some deep secrets start being revealed, it just, it just really caught me up in the film. I became just so invested into where these two guys were going to end up. And, you know, we're certainly not going to spoil that. This is going to be this is the, <laughs> the spoiler rating for this episode is going to be very low. But, I mean, you do get a sense that it's they're not going to end up in a great place. I mean, they're not going to leave this lighthouse hugging at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely agreed on that. And I think that that was, you know, kind of one of the one of the places where it kind of fell short for me, because, like, it felt uh, and again, it's hard to not feel this way. I mean, just if you watch the trailer at all, uh, you know, not to know that weird stuff happens, but it just it seems inevitable and not in this sort of sinking sense of dread way from the very beginning. Like, OK, you know that just weird stuff is going to happen. Nothing is going to end up nicely. And it just it's, you know, the the specifics of it are executed well, but I I feel like it, it kind of shows you know it kind of lets you peek at its hand a little too early on i i'm not sure i don't think it feel it feels inevitable in an obvious way to me um it's not a, again, it's, the, not, it's not a film that has major plot twists or anything that suddenly changes the dynamic of what's going on i mean sort of the way the narrative works is in a straight line there's not a lot right. of zigzags um, again, the movie, or is it a circle or, or exactly? And the movie <laughs> throws again, there is some horror type imagery. Some it's, it's, again, it's I call like, it some Lovecraftian type stuff, but that never, that stuff is never put to the forefront, but I, I don't, I liked Lovecraft, all that I, about it. I don't, I, I'd call it more phantasmagorical than like straight horror probably. Oh, right. And yeah, and I and I loved all those elements. I loved, you know, I love that they just kind of show up and you really don't know, you know, if it's real, if it's imagined, if it's real and imagined, uh, which is entirely a possibility, I think, with this. Really, I, I, my biggest issue, though, is that I think that I feel like this could have been a little bit, certainly not in the way that, that the witch felt, where, you know, we both kind of agreed that the witch should have just been like a 20 minute short film. I feel like this could have been slightly trimmed down. Like I, you know, I get the sense of, um, you know, weariness from the repetition of everything that, that is happening. Uh, you know, and, but I think that's the you, theme you, of the and, movie. I think that's right, the theme it, well, of the movie. No, it, these again, guys, I mean, every I, day I, is the same for these guys. Every single day is the same for these two guys. And it's supposed to end and they're supposed, you know, Pattinson's character right. is finally supposed to be free from this at the end of 30 days. And then the storm hits, the boat doesn't show up and it doesn't happen. Right. So I think and, that's sort of part that. of the thematic point of the film that things right, aren't going to change. And I think that you can still communicate that and you can still have the audience experiencing that, but not to the point where it's like, okay, just come on. We know where this is going. Get to it already. You know, which it, that wasn't an overwhelming feeling for me, but it, it was definitely present, uh, you know, 
I, I get it. Bit. I didn't feel it, but I understand it. I mean, you know, you ask me, you know, why was I this much invested? And a lot of it's intangible with with film. I mean, right. we we could sit here and say, no, I get it. Yeah, we sit here and agree. Like this movie's gorgeous, and we love the way it looks. And you know, obviously, these two guys give great performance. These are like tangible things we can talk about. But it's just like, you know, how far it sinks its claws into you, and how much you become wrapped up in the story is a little bit intangible. And I just know for me, I was just. Completely 100% invested from start to finish. Again, I absolutely loved it. Which now, you know, Eggers has two, you know, this movie's pretty critically acclaimed. He has two very well-liked movies. We don't like The Witch as much, but there's no doubt it, you know, has had some staying power and has made an impact. Now this guy's made a movie that I do love. So, I mean, we, we can't wait to see what comes next. At least I can't. He is rumored to be working on a remake of Nosferatu. And I, I think it would be just the coolest thing possible if he let Willem Dafoe. Yeah, but you can't, <laughs> you can't do that though, because. Yeah, you can. Oh, that and would I would be, love to see him no, do it. That would, no, that would be incredible. That's just too weird. No, it's, I'd be, that would be amazing. So. And I, I think that he would do it too. For those who don't know, Dafoe plays. Max Shrek. So in a movie called Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah, he plays he plays Max Shrek, who plays Count Orlock in Nosferatu, and which is a 1922 German German silent film, which uh, ripped off Bram Stoker's Dracula to the point where Stoker's estate, you know, won a, a lawsuit and got them to destroy nearly every copy of the film. Okay, so then you think. <laughs> Your proposition is that Defoe, who has already technically played Count Orlock, who has played the actor, play, who play plays the, actor. the character, you now want him to play the character. Absolutely. God, that is some fifth wall breaking space time shenanigans there, Stu. I, it, it'd be incredible. We, he'd be amazing in the role. We know this. I saw Shadow of the Vampire when it first came out and thought it was great and haven't seen it since. You're making me want to rewatch it. Even if even if he hadn't, you know, done Shadow of the Vampire before, he'd still be a great pick for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, Nosferatu, the original, well, the Herzog remake of Nosferatu is fantastic, too. I highly recommend that. Uh, Klaus Kinski plays Orlock in that one. Uh, the original Nosferatu is probably my favorite horror movie ever made. Absolutely. I mean, I just love it to death. Absolutely. Just it's it's I love it. Uh, and just, you know, like I said, even if even if Defoe hadn't done Shadow of the Vampire, he'd still be a, the perfect choice for this. Would you put Shadow of the Vampire in Willem Defoe's top five performances? Um, yeah, It's been too long since I've seen it. I need to watch it again to be able to, you know, say something like that. Uh, but it's certainly a, a very good performance. I mean, it's great. It's creepy in all the way, right ways it needs to be. And would you put The Lighthouse in Willem Dafoe's top five performances? Yeah, probably. And would you put John Wick in Willem Dafoe's top five performances? No, absolutely not. But it's John Wick, Stu. It is John Wick, and it's great. But he's, you know, not that I don't think Dafoe is capable of coasting. 
Sometimes people forget about when they list all the great actors that pop up in supporting roles in John Wick. I think they forget about Defoe because he's only in the first one and he dies like three quarters of the way through. Let's, let's not forget Defoe. Defoe's, he's, I mean, Defoe's he's bringing only, the goods in John Wick in his little part there. He's only in about five minutes tops of that movie. <laughs> I was say it's fine. He's fun. I'm glad he's in it. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm just kidding. I I'm not, I'm also not putting John Wick as a top five devoted performance, but know. it doesn't Give, mean I'm not glad he's in the John Wick universe. I'm delighted. Defoe given your given Wick. your obsession with John Wick, it would not surprise uh, me if you did. Here's who I'm recommending the Lighthouse to. If if you're a fan of The Witch, for God's sake, go see the Lighthouse. It's better. If you're a fan of The Shining, go see the Lighthouse. If you're a budding photographer or cinematographer, go see the Lighthouse. Uh, anybody who loves showy acting performances by master thespians, go see The Lighthouse. Anybody who thinks their taste lines up somewhat close to mine does, go see The Lighthouse. Anybody you want to add to that, Stu? No, that about covers it. But yeah, like I said, do a double feature of this in the trial. All right. And we're, and it's against the rules. We're not going to talk about the Batman movie on this podcast when it comes out, but we, we are going to look forward to seeing it. Well, we probably, oh, come on, we're going to talk about it in some way. <laughs> some capacity. All right, that is the end of episode two of The Unfranchised. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back in short order with another small indie original movie, something fun to watch, something we want you to go to see. Support these kind of movies. That's what we're trying to do. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. The Unfranchised is a film podcast produced by the staff of CultSpark.com and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast providers. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Your support is essential in our ability to highlight smaller films by growing our audience. You can follow our hosts on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor and at Scooby-Doo. For updates on The Unfranchised, you can also follow CultSpark on Facebook and Twitter at CultSpark. Visit CultSpark.com for print reviews and essays on films in the horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, and noir genres. You can email CultSpark publisher and editor Robert Taylor at CultSpark at gmail.com. <laughs>